For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. That's the name of this podcast that you're listening to. If you're lost, it's okay. I'll take care of you. You are in a very good spot and you may have stumbled upon one of the greatest episodes of this show yet. The hype is real. I'm excited. To bring you my conversation with Mr. Jesse Leach, you know him mostly, of course, from Kill Switch Engage, but don't sleep on his other projects, Times of Grace, a new record from them, and The Weapon, his hardcore punk side project. We talk about all that and a whole lot more. This is a good one. Stick around. Before we get into that, I want to always remind you that you can get in touch with me if you have anything you want to say. If you have suggestions for the show, you just want to give me a little shout out. It's all good. Send me an email, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read them all. And I want to remind you that if you enjoy this episode with Jesse, you know, go back because there's like 283 other episodes you can listen to and make sure that you're subscribed I don't know what people listen to podcasts on anymore. I mean, maybe Spotify, maybe Apple, maybe some weird website somewhere. I don't know. But regardless, 
you are listening to this somewhere, hit that subscribe button. Make sure that this show keeps coming at you. We've got some great guests coming up, including Phil from Whitechapel. That was an incredible conversation we did live on Twitch a couple weeks ago, but it's going to be coming right here to the podcast side of things, so don't miss it. But yeah, also follow me on Twitch because I'm doing lots of stuff live on there as well, and it's a great platform, and it's completely free and such a good vibe. Twitch.tv slash Shane Told, and every Wednesday at 6 p.m., I'm on there with my boy. You know him. You love him. Mr. Mike Howell, new music guru. He is giving you the top five list of all the new releases that you need to know about. Every Wednesday, we do it live on Twitch at six. And of course, it's here on the podcast feed. You can see it. Check it out. It's a great way to find out about new music that you probably don't know about. He guides you. He guides you to the place you need to be. That's Mike. Shout out to Mike. I love him. All right. Well, this is a really good episode. I don't want to delay any further. So let's just get right into it, shall we? Here it is. My conversation with Jesse Leach of Kill Switch Engage. Hey, Jesse, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? Sorry. Hey. It took me, I, when I saw the phone call, I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> but I'm good to go now, man. I got tea in my hand. I'm ready to go. Awesome. I got, I've got a beverage in my hand as well, and this is Killer. great to speak with you, man, and thanks for yeah. doing this. Thank you, man. Let me uh, let me just turn off uh, Blade Runner. Hold on one second. I'm in my little studio room. Um, no problem. Yeah, I've listened to your podcast a bunch, dude. I'm actually really dig what you do. So nice. This is, this is super cool, man. I've nice. listened to it for at least, at least what, two years maybe? Oh, well, you should have called me. We could have done this two years ago. But well, uh, I, I like that this happened naturally, though. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, man, like, fuck, I've been doing this for so long. And it's e- even when I started, you know, you think of the people like who would be really cool to talk to, you know, and definitely your name came across my desk a, more than a few times. And I don't know why I never just said, yeah, you know, like it's weird. Sometimes just things don't work out. But yeah, or, or uh, sometimes they do. <laughs> and it's a good time because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, um, I don't even know where to start, but I, I'd like to start real weird, and I'd like to talk about the weapon. Can we do that? Oh, absolutely, dude. So a lot of people don't know about this project, and I want people to know about it because I really have enjoyed it. Basically, it's just a punk band, a uh, hardcore punk band that you put out last year. Kind of yep. no one saw this coming, and I've just like, I ripped this like, you know, I've ripped it like a lot of times over the last year. Oh, killer, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's nice. It's the kind of music I grew up listening to, you know, before I got into any sort of metal, like hardcore right. was everything for me. So when I was approached to do this project, this is actually years ago, I was asked to join it, you know, by my, my buddy Chris, who used to play in a band called Thy Will Be Done. He also was in a Japanese band for a bunch of years called The Aggressive Dogs. Cool. Uh, and he, he put, he's like, he, he mentioned Discharge. The Bad Brains and Minor Threat. I'm like, dude, in. I'm so in. Yeah, and that's a pretty good description of it. And, you know, I think that that's a, 
another cool like thing to talk about is you know Boston and and New England and the hardcore scene that existed in the mid 90s I mean it was unlike anywhere in the world and here you are in the middle of it um and of course everybody else that ended up in Killswitch from you know Overcast and all these other bands I mean hardcore and metal and and metalcore that was really one of its birthplaces I would argue yeah I wouldn't have to say so too and you, you know the bands that influenced it um just from that the general northeast area because i think one band that just gets dismissed from that conversation uh too much is a band called dead guy i think dead guy really changed all of that shit because they were clearly from hardcore and you could even go back to say rorschach as well they were clearly hardcore guys but they were playing a very interesting mix of metallic hardcore before you know the 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 term metalcore these guys were introducing and it was even like you know agnostic front was definitely a huge part of that crossover movement but i feel like bands like rorschach dead guy bloodlet integrity oh yeah were coming from a very hardcore place and mixing metal that wasn't necessarily i don't know i think agnostic front like if you look at like one voice it was kind of an 80s feel to it where i feel like the 90s were very 90s. The metallic edge they were bringing in was fresh. It felt different. It felt new. No, and absolutely. All those bands completely influenced me. Absolutely. No, Dead Guy, yeah, New Jersey. I mean, they were they paved the way for like Dillinger Escape Plan. You know, oh, when, everybody, when, man. when all the, the tech the tech aspect of it, because that was there was no place for that in hardcore. Yeah. You know, and then D- Dead Guy brought that in. They also brought in like humor. That was yeah, like, you sarcasm, know, scream, totally. screaming with the dead guy quintet and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And, and, um, yeah, dead guy is, I'm glad you brought them up. Um, of course, Chrome eggs is a, a band that needs to be in the conversation oh, yeah, as well, of course, of course. but, um, no man, it's, it is, it is funny, you know, how a, a lot of, let's just say, let's call the metalcore fans or kill switch fans or whatever. A lot of them don't understand where you came from, right? The, 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 the punk rock vibe in nature, because, you know, Killswitch, it's a very clean sounding band. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, uh, it has a different kind of sound. So I think it's really cool that you, that you put together that, uh, that project. So I wanted to ask you about it. Yeah, no, totally. So for me, it's just, it's a very comfortable shoe to put on. And it's something that I don't get a ton of time to do it. But, uh, we just actually recorded a, a cover of an aggressive dog song, um, which is, you know, again, Chris, the guitar player, was a part of it. And I actually sang it in Japanese. So it's, going to be a really interesting cover to come out. And then we've got new material that I would say sounds a bit more like Dag Nasty. It kind of morphed into like a, a post-hardcore. So we're, we're still growing, and it's something yeah. that I, I love to do. It's, just, it's hard to have time between all the products that we all do. And our bass player is actually the stage manager, production manager for Killswitch. So we kind of kept it in the family, but th- yeah. I love that project and more to come for that. So thanks for bringing that's, that up, dude. I don't that's get to talk awesome. about that a lot. No, well, I have to ask you about this Japanese song. I mean, does Chris speak Japanese? A little bit. He, he speaks enough to like get by when he was there because, you know, being in, in a Japanese band, he was still living here okay. in the States, but he would okay. go over there for tours. So he was constantly there. But, um, you know, they, they usually t- took care of him. But he can speak enough to get by if he had to, you know? That's funny. Yeah, I, f- I feel like if you're screaming Japanese, it's a lot easier than if you had to sing it and pronounce things, like, correctly. Do you know what oh, I mean? Dude, you get I away with a lot more. Yes. There are times in that song where I'm like, oh, man, I can't figure it out. And we're like, scream it. We're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's always the answer if you don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, well, part of the reason this was set up 
right now is the new Times of Grace record. Just came out, what, a month and a half ago? Yeah. Uh, I love this album, and I'm just surprised it happened. I I thought this project was dead, um, but, you know, not not in a bad way. I mean, just yeah. hey, you're you're back with Killswitch, um, you know, and maybe things have moved on from that. So I was really surprised when I saw the announcement for for this uh, this coming out. Yeah, this has been years in the making, but you know, Killswitch has been so busy between touring and yeah. You know, it is sometimes when you get home from tour, the last thing in the world you want to do is work on another project or do anything. <laughs> for sure. you know, at least for the you know the, the first week or so, you're just shot. Um, so when he approached me with material, and I remember listening to it on break and being like, oh my God, I, we've got to start working on this. But that was, I want to say, five years ago. So right. this has been a very slow-moving passion project, but I'm so happy that we found the time to get it done. And the fact that it sonically is a departure from the last record and even more of a sonic departure from Killswitch, to Definitely. me makes me so much more excited to work on it because it's just a, we're able to flex a little bit of more of an artistic side, a different side, and even using sort of the lower register of my voice on some of that stuff and quieter singing. Like to me that's that scratches an itch that I can't really get with Kill Switch. I love Kill Switch. I love what we do, but you know, we've kind of like got a signature sound that we tend to stick to for the most part. So for me, it was really nice to just work on something different and even lyrically go on a different route. It's a bit darker too, you know? Right, right. And I was definitely going to ask you about the lyrics, but but musically for sure, I mean, the so many songs start with like a clean guitar, you know? Uh, those kind of vibes, which which you don't always, you know, get in, in a Kill Switch song. And, and I love that. But I mean, lyrically, I think it's, it's all in the title, right? I mean, songs of loss and separation. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very autobiographical title from, yeah. you know, reading about what you've gone through and divorce and heartache. And it's definitely all over this record. Uh, was that cathartic? Was that difficult to put that on paper and also, you know, express that vocally? Yeah, it was, it was both for sure. Um, you know, there were moments in the studio where my voice was cracking moments where I had stop and take a break and right. Adam's really you know ha- knows how to deal with me for the most part so you know it created some really real in the moment uh things that were captured on that record Medusa for example the spoken word part was on the fly we did it on the fly while recording that song and that speaks very much to what I was going through uh, at the time you know post divorce and realizing all of the uh the deceptions and like you know Divorce isn't easy no matter how it is, even if you get along after, which, you know, in my case, that's not the case. I don't even, we don't even speak anymore. But um, when you're going through that, there's a lot of like, uh, you do a lot of digging within your psyche, within your soul, a lot of soul searching. And that Medusa captured in real time. And the fact that that spoken word part was written on the spot. And then the end part, you know, I remember talking to Adam saying, this song's really dark. It's really cathartic, as you say, but it, it was one of those songs, one of the few times on that record where I'm like, I need to end on a positive note. This story's got to have a positive twist. Okay. Where with Kill Switch, that happens a lot. We tend to put positive twists on all the songs, but with this album especially, we were okay leaving it off on the dark note. But that song in particular, when I started writing You Won't Kill the Love in Me, it just felt like such a 
such a release of like, you know, I'm getting through this. I'm in real time writing the song and in my mind thinking I'm going to get through this. It's going to be okay. So having those moments huge for me. You you talk about catharsis, uh, talk about therapy. It was incredible to to work on that. Right, difficult and incredible to work. Absolutely. On. Well, yeah. I mean, the Medusa. I mean, just the title alone. It's obviously scathing. I, you know, I mean, it's it's a pretty brutal. Uh, and to end it with that positivity. But the song I wanted to ask you about, uh, the last track, "Forever." I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of the opposite. You're you're definitely ending the record on a very dark, kind of fucked up note. Uh, yeah. In, in that case, and that song really jumped out at me as well, um, you know, the closing track. Yeah, that was written, um, and I was doing interviews talking about the song, and someone mentioned the shadow self, and that's I kind of ran with that when I described this song, because at the time, I wasn't coping well. So instead of, you know, doing healthy things like exercising and getting therapy, I was drinking to the point of just blacking out. And on one of those blackouts, I wrote that entire song and, and com- just completely do not remember writing it wow. or sending it to Adam. Oh my God. And uh, he, he took, you know, at the time too, like, you know, there were moments making this record where I, I physically and mentally couldn't perform. So we would have a studio session ready to go and I would just, I was no good. I'd show up and I'm like depressed and I couldn't get through it. So that was one of those songs that Adam did on his own. So he took my lyrics and crafted that song and sent it back to me a week later. And I remember listening to and reading the lyrics and being like, wow, Adam, you outdid yourself. This is fucking dark, dude. And he's like, you're an idiot. You, you sent this to me last week. These are your lyrics. So that song really did. I, you know, I look back on it and it, you can hear in the lyrics how dark it is. Cause it's what I've realized after rereading it and listening to it it's about abuse it's about somebody who's manipulating and abusing and obsessing over somebody and the whole idea of like if i can't have you no one will so let's just die together that that really like grow and you know i know there are some people that can relate to that that have been in relationships with people just like that where they're they're abused mentally abused and you don't realize how bad it is until you get out of it and you look back and go wow that was fucked up so that's one of those songs where we wanted that story to be told and the end of it, you know, it ends on a very dark note. And I think we were both kind of satisfied with each other. Like, yeah, this is different. We like this. Absolutely. No, it's a great record. I really encourage people to check out songs of lost and separation. It's out now. Uh, are, are you guys going to try to do some touring with this project? I mean, obviously I know how busy you are and Adam is and everybody is, but, uh, is there any plans uh, at least to do some shows? Yes, eventually. Um, I think it's just so nerve wracking right now. Like we're just getting ready to go on the road with Slipknot and, you know, the whole p- protocols with everything that's been going on. So we're super nervous just about that tour alone, just making sure it gets all the way through. Nobody gets sick, all those things. Cause like you keep seeing tours get canceled. So yeah, we're, we're nervous with this times of grace thing. If we're going to like put our hard earned money, cause we have to invest. It's not like we have right. a record label. It's not like anyone's, putting us out on tour, we would have to hire people to be in the band. We'd have to rehearse. So there's a lot of moving parts that need to like come into place. So we thought it best just to hold off till next year, but we've definitely discussed it and we've definitely kept some money set aside to, to fund the touring. And another thing too, that I, I, I have to mention is when we do eventually do this, it'll be like, you know, 
we envisioned like the sort of MTV unplugged with carpeting and like a more like rock evening with atmosphere with some visuals, hopefully. Right. As opposed to people sitting there headbanging and chugging beers and, and starting pits. This will be more of a of rock sort of evening with concert type thing. Because we really want to go like down a different path, you know, embrace the rock alternative bluesy side of what we're doing and create a totally different atmosphere live. Which would be cool too, because on this record, Adam takes lead vocals on a couple of these songs, so it'll give me an opportunity to potentially play piano and be part of the band for the first time in my life. So oh, cool. There's a lot of things we're talking about to, to present this in a live way that'll be completely different from anything we've done. Great. Well, I really I really hope you can make that happen. Um, yeah, you're talking about the uh, Slipknot tour, which starts in only about 10 days. It's the se- September yeah. 1st today for, for a little context for people. Um, but for a second, I want to bring you back to uh, March 11th, 2020. Uh, you're two shows into your headline tour. <laughs> you're in the great city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, yeah. Tell me about that day and what happened. So the news didn't drop till the day after, and we had a day off in Pittsburgh. And you know how it is when you start a tour and, and your energy's super high. You're just, Ugh. I would say, by the third or fourth day, kind of getting into the groove a little bit. That's usually how those tours work. But that tour, day one, the vibe between August Burns Red, Light the Torch, right. and ourselves, the backstage vibe was clicked immediately. All of us were in good spirits. Our energy was high. The performances were good. So this tour started out like at a, as if we had been out for a couple of weeks. The energy was just there. So we played that Grand Rapids show. It was a great show. We're super excited. Howard's coming on stage doing, you know, Signal Fire, and I got him to end a heartache as well. Like just the vibe was there. And we have a day off in Pittsburgh, which is a city we all love to get food in and hang oh, out. I love in. Pittsburgh too. Underrated city. Oh, yeah, totally. And the food there is great. The vibe there is great. So, you know, we just had a really nice breakfast and I'm getting ready to, to grab my bike and go biking by the river and just have like a nice day off. And our tour manager's just got this look on his face. <laughs> he's walking towards the bosses. I'm like loading out my gear, getting ready to go have fun and like enjoy my day off. And he's like, dude, you come on, bus. I got to tell everybody. And I was like, we're done. We're going home. That's it. Pack it up, boys. Wow. And it was just this quiet, still moment of like, we kind of knew things were getting bad, yeah. but we just had this hope behind the hope that, oh, that's just happening over there. We're going to be fine here. Like th- these things don't really hit us this hard. We're going to be fine. Exactly. No. And there it was. Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, my band was on tour at the same time. We were, we were 10, about 10 shows in. No oh, um, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, doesn't two shows in is probably just as bad, uh, maybe worse. But we uh, we um, we were in Charlotte on the 11th, and we finished our show. And I remember coming off stage and hearing that Tom Hanks got it, and hearing that the NBA was shutting down because Rudy Gobert yeah. um, of the Utah Jazz got it. And and I I remember right there thinking, I don't know, this this might be the last show we play in a while. And then the next day, it was like, are we going to Atlanta? Are we not going to Atlanta? Like, are we going north? Or are we going south? Like, which way are we going? And I imagined a lot of bands having, you know, similar conversations and debates about like what's happening or is the tour ending and there were a few bands that played that weekend that that muscled on and went through but mostly i think in the south yeah yeah and it is a definitely a, an odd feeling going home and i have to admit at first it was you know financially speaking it was a total like Ugh. we were like for the first time i think in our career 
just like broke. Like, holy shit, how are we going to like paid for everything ahead of time? You know, yeah. when you advance a tour, it's a, it's a bunch of money you put up to get the tour going, the tour bus, all that stuff. So financially, you're just like in shock of like, I don't know how we're going to make this up. Yeah, you've like, got a trailer full of fucking t-shirts. <laughs> it's <just> ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, you know, there was also a part of me that was like, oh, I get to rest. Like, I need a break. Yeah. I, I remember before starting that tour with tears in my eyes saying, I'm exhausted to my girl. I was like, I'm exhausted. I need a break. Like, I, And this, it's so funny, but one of the things I said was like, I miss watching the seasons change. Like, just sitting still and... Because I live in a really nice place. I moved up to the Catskill Mountains oh, yeah. uh, a, few, a few years ago. And I just always had this feeling of like, I'm not able to enjoy my house. I'm never home. I'm always on tour. So it, initially, I was like, oh, this is going to be nice. We'll get a couple months break, hopefully. We'll get back out there and we'll figure it out. It's not so bad. Well, you know, I can make it a couple of months. We'll be fine. And then, you know, at first it was like, I oh, was going on hikes. Things are okay. And then you know, shit just turned quick and it was like survival mode kicks in. You're right. like, what, what am I going to do, dude? So it, it got rough for all of us for a while there. But in retrospect, I don't know. I have this attitude of everything happens for a reason. I know it's a typical thing to say, but I truly, truly believe that. And it changed It changed me. I, I, um, I see the world much differently now. I think things that I took for granted prior to this I won't take for granted again. I mean, the fact that I'm going to hopefully be stepping on stage soon, that moment, I know I'm never going to forget that as long as I live getting back on stage again. That's going to be insane. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah, there's someone who who wrote the playbook for your life. Uh, I don't know if they fell asleep or like what was going on, man. You've had a very interesting career. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know how to segue i apologize for that one but no you, it's you funny know, i like it <laughs> you know like like obviously you you come out of the gate with kill switch engage and you guys get signed to roadrunner and there's so much hype and so much success right out of the gate and then you can't handle it i mean and you leave the band for a long time mm. and then you come back i mean that whole i mean i know i just summed up like a decade or more of of your life but <laughs> in like three sentences but I don't even know where to get your input on because there's so much happened and so much is still happening. And and like, obviously you're 43 now at the time you're like 23. I mean, what, what are you, do you still feel like the same person? Um, has so much changed in in just the way that you, uh, process things. Like I really, I didn't, didn't know you back then. And I really wonder what, you know, what was going through your head as, as that kid that kind of like said it couldn't handle it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and I think it's something I've I've actually thought a lot about this past year and a half or so. Um, and I think the bottom line for me is just, uh, and I think anyone who's creative can relate to this because we all have a neurological thing going on in our heads that makes us creative. Is also sort of the demon that stares at us and, and can give us mental illness and issues and anxiety and all the fun things that come along with being an artist. Um, and I think back then I didn't really have a language for them. I did not handle my my disorders or my brokenness, whatever you want to call it. So I would run from it. You know, I would hide from it. I'd hide from confrontation. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ask for help because I didn't know how to ask for help. So I, I felt like when I look back, I was a child. At the age of twenty three, I was still very young in my mind um, for various reasons, having a pretty sheltered childhood as well, which I've realized 
had a lot to do with it. Uh, growing up in a very, very strict religious home. Right. Um, so a lot of that stuff played into me being non-confrontational, not confident, unsure of myself in the world, how I see myself, my faith, my beliefs. In the past 20 years, I've really come to grips with a lot of that. And I think part of that is just being okay with the fact that I'm never going to be normal. I'm never going to be that person that can just sail through and like everything's fine. I've always got issues. I have a daily thing that I have to face. And I've learned over the years to develop tools and to develop language. And now I'm, I consider myself an advocate for mental health because it's changed everything for me to have a language, to know that I do have depression and anxiety and to speak to others about it and to speak to other musicians about it and to hear stories that has helped me so much bring me from the point of actually you know being suicidal after i left kill switch that was a dark time because i didn't know what i was doing i was so scared of of you know being recognized and people starting to ask me for my autograph and like i just couldn't handle that and being a hardcore kid, you know, a punk right. kid, like that, that shit never happened. We didn't, right? You didn't get off stage, and kids were like autographed. They were handing you their fanzines and putting their arms around you, and like, oh, I'm in a band too. Like, you were just one of the the crowd of people. Like, there was no separation between performer and, and an attendee. We were just a yeah, community, exactly. Where yeah. where I started to see success and that dividing line started to happen and people would start to talk about me as I would walk by them. Is that him? Is that him? Is that Jesse? That kind of shit drove me nuts. I would get super anxious and I developed a, a fear, a social anxiety where I would actually hide in the van right, and like not want to talk to people and it would freak me out. And that would spiral into years of me dealing, trying to figure what that was, what's going on with my mind. So it's been quite a journey and, um, I still deal with it on a regular basis, you know, but uh, I'm a lot happier and more adjusted and I see the world differently. And I think because of that, I've used music and my art and my social media presence to sort of advocate for the fact that we need to have a regular conversation about this type of stuff. So it's really become a huge part of my life and I embrace that and it's made me feel like I've got purpose right. outside of just music being somebody who's able to talk about these things and not feel shame or you know trying to break down the walls of stigma it's become a passion in my life to to talk and deal with mental illness well i love it and i love that we're talking about it right now on this platform uh, as however small it may be because you know 20 years ago when you were going through this um there, it wasn't the same. People weren't as understanding about it. And all we can hope is that, you know, someone that's going through that at, at maybe success early in a band that doesn't know how to handle it can learn from your experience maybe or, or understand <clears throat> at least that there's things out there that can help them and that other people have gone through this and also just the community as a whole is much more understanding because you know, you know how it was back in 02. It wasn't the same at all. No, there's a whole idea of like, what, what the hell's wrong with you, dude? Like not snap out of right, it, you know, exactly. have a beer, shut up, smoke some weed. What are you doing? You're going to be fine. Um, and that's not helpful. Like it's, it's, I can chuckle at it now cause we're all kids, but you know, as you get older and here's the thing too, that, that has been such a, blessing is the moment I did start to talk about it, you know, and then coming back into Kill Switch and having that platform, I've spent so many, so much time talking to fans outside the bus or at meet and greets or just meeting them on the street or whatever. 
and a lot of the times the topic comes up immediately and people are so grateful that somebody else is speaking up about it. And I get to hear all these stories of people who have dealt with it. And I feel like the more stories I hear, the more educated I become and the more wisdom I gain. Uh, and it's a feeling of let, being less alone in this world. And I think that's it for everybody. That moment that you realize you're not alone and there's other people that understand your fucked up head and what you're going through, that is so liberating. That it's, it's a huge breath of air that yeah. allows you to cope and allows you to see things differently where you know, back in 02, when people would just tell me to get over it or like, why are you always so down? Like that would drive me deeper into my depression. That would make me feel more isolated because people just didn't get it. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know how to voice it. So th this has been such a process for me. And, and now, like, again, like I said, like, I love it. I, I live for it. I, I need it. I need my community. And I know my community needs me. And it's that reciprocation between all of us, quote unquote, broken people that has really given me a whole new sense of, of being and purpose. There you go. Like your single, I am broken too. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's the message <laughs> right, right there. I heard it all over the radio, man, up here in Detroit. It was everywhere. That's yeah. That's why I wrote that song, man. That was it. It was for all those people who get it. And I wrote it for a, a loved one that was going through a very difficult time and didn't have the language. So I reached out to that person and said, Hey, you're not alone. You get it now because I'm telling you this. I go. I went through the same thing, man. And the moment that door was open, that conversation happened. Things changed for the better. Well, I, I am very happy that that you're getting through this. And another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, nine years away from Killswitch, um, a lot happened <laughs> in your absence. Uh, Howard Jones came in. Obviously, I know you guys are are very close and I had Howard on the show, oh, it was a few years ago now, but he spoke very highly of you. And it's interesting that he went through a lot of the same struggles as you did too. Um, you know, and then you kind of came back and took over when he was going through a hard time. Like it was, it's kind of a beautiful um, relationship, at least from the outside looking in. Um, and I think the fans of Killswitch really understand that this project is more than more than just about like a couple egos of lead singers. There's yeah. a lot, it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah. It's bigger than the lead singer syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong show for you and Howard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, man. I think, you know, and it took me a few years to, to sort of figure that out because, you know, when I first rejoined, there was, to me, I look back now at younger me and like, I, I was posturing a little bit, trying to be more confident because I realized the shoes I was trying to fill, the the success that Killswitch went on to have. And, you know, their legacy songs are still the songs that I didn't write. You know, those are the end of heartache. We right. cannot play a show without playing that song. That is the song. And, you know, that's humbling for me. So it took me a little bit, a, a few years to sort of figure it out. That and truthfully, the band had unresolved issues that they had to work out with Howard that had nothing to do with me. So once all that was water under the bridge, it opened the doors for me 
to see the situation differently and be a little less defensive about it. And then when Howard started to, you know, get his band together, which at the time was Devil You Know, and started to do it again, I commended him. I, I actually emailed him early on and was like, good for you, dude. I'm glad you're getting back out there and giving this a shot. Uh, you know, for the songs you wrote, it's difficult for me to try to sing them sometimes. <laughs> it's just kind of like, wrote him this really human, just friend to friend, like, hey, man, I'm just reached out and extended the, you know, the uh, olive branch. I was like, hey, man, I'm here. I just wanted you to know I'm, I'm going through it too. And that was kind of the spark that started it. But meeting him in person backstage, I think we were in Canada at the time where he was living. And within, I'd say, about a half hour, I realized how similar we were and how he did have the same issues that I do and how his way of coping was it with, with it was to go away, just like I did. Right. So there was a lot of parallels that I figured out. And we were actually at the end of the night, flash forward to the end of the night being on the tour bus, laughing hysterically about it and sort of like i remember approaching him and being like dude your songs have been difficult for me to sing like i find myself trying to sound like you it's been hard and he just was like fuck you man i had to tour in a live just breathing i still have to hear about that fucking record he's like you have no idea what it's like so we kind of like laid into each other in a very friendly way and from that point on you know it's just i remember listening to hip-hop on the bus and everyone was bummed out, and Howard and I were singing along arm in arm to the songs, and just like this guy, I like this guy. And from that point on, we just yeah, it's been a nice, a really nice thing to happen for us as a band and for me as a person to sort of just be able to have him. I can text him, I can talk to him, right? I can ask him about a song he wrote. You know, that's really fucking cool. And then bringing him on stage and seeing the reaction, and then being able to record Signal Fire a duet. Like all that shit has been so awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love that you guys embrace each other in that way. And I, I remember asking him when we did the podcast a few years back, you know, is it weird to have, you know, this guy like coming in and singing your songs? And he's like, no, it's exactly what happened when I joined, you know, when, uh, when yeah, I joined the exactly. band, <laughs> it's, it's like exactly the same thing. So I love, I love that you, um, that you said that. I mean, I mean, coming back into the band, uh, I don't know if I've heard the story, like exactly how it went down. I, I understand, you know, um, they needed a guy and they were talking about maybe a lot of people speculated it might be Phil from all that remains. Um, and you came in, but, but it sounded like it was a real audition process that you kind of went through to get back in. Um, it wasn't like you just had your ticket punched. Yeah. I actually initially, um, and not a lot of people know this cause at the time when I came back into the band, it was like, Talk about it as, as less as you can. Like, just allow it to be what it is. Don't get too deep. So, there was a narrative that I just sort of accepted when I came back. But the truth be told, now that we're past that right. and everybody's cool and everything's fine, I was asked to rejoin. Um, the offer was on the table for me to rejoin, no questions asked, period. And I turned it down. Um, at the time, Times of Grace was just, we were in the middle of touring and. I uh, actually no, we were just getting ready to tour. So in my mind, it was like, no, times of grace, dude. I'm not going to join Killswitch and like shoot times of grace in the right. foot. I'm super stoked in this record. We're just getting things together to tour. Uh, and then I remember, um, oh, I, I screwed that timeline up. Back up real okay. quick. I was working at a bar in Manhattan, and I had got the the opportunity. I knew the times of grace record was coming out. I knew that my life may or may not change, and. I was working in a in a bar, and then somebody recognized me and said, "You know, didn't you used to sing for Killswitch?" And I remember thinking to myself, "Man, shit, 
this sucks. There was a moment where I remember cleaning the glasses and thinking to myself, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, I turned this opportunity down and here I am working this bar job. And I remember calling management and saying, you know, cause I'm close to management. They're the same management that I, you know, I've had since I was a kid, Vaughn and Kenny. And, uh, I, I called up yeah, Vaughn. I, I said, love, love Vaughn and Kenny. Oh, they're good people, man. So I called up Vaughn. I was like, you know how I kind of turned that job opportunity down to come back to kill switch. Uh, I, I understand you guys are having auditions. Can you just put me on the audition list and I'll come in at the end of the day and, and I'll give it a shot. And that was two weeks before the auditions were slated to happen. And I, those two weeks I just studied and listened to and digested all of the Howard material I could. And the first song that really struck me was a song called Arms of Sorrow, which really speaks to depression. And the lyrics really just hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. I was like, I can sing this song with enough conviction that even though I didn't write the lyrics, I could embody it. And that was kind of the the spark that lit the fire of like, how do I inject myself into these songs? So if I do sing them, I'm not up there just sort of pantomiming. I'm not just lip sync, you know, like what's the word? Not lip syncing, um, doing covers. Right. It, it wouldn't feel like a cover song for me. Uh, and then slowly but surely within those two weeks, I started to really understand and, and embody those songs. So by the time I showed up for audition, after all the jokes and busting balls about, oh, this guy, <laughs> you turn us down and I hear you're an asshole. Um, we played 18 songs, did a, did a bunch of stuff over live with Just Breathing, and then you know, did a bunch of Howard songs. And I sat those guys down. I, like, I said, look, I apologize. I just wasn't ready at the time when you asked me. Uh, and where I am with my life right now and everything that's transpired, like if you guys get me to do this, I won't walk away. I'll give it everything I got to a painful degree. I won't let you down. And, you know, they were like, all right. And it was a joke. I was like, we'll have management call you tomorrow. We'll let you know, you know? <laughs> and we, I kind of, in the back of my mind, I kind of felt like I might have nailed it. But I also knew I had stiff competition. There were some pretty, pretty big singers in that audition room prior to me being there. Oh, so. sure. So, I mean, one of the biggest heavy bands in the world. I mean, a lot of people would want to join the band, uh, like, yeah. you know, obviously, but, you know, knowing them in your history and everything. Um, and obviously, it's been a really good decision for the band with the success you guys have had. And, and I remember when you guys got nominated for the Grammy on the record you did, you know, I mean, that must have been, I don't want to say redemption because it's the kind of wrong word, but you know, you leave the band and they get nominated with Howard and then here you are when you come back and you get that Grammy nomination again. I mean, that must have been a cool little, a little thing of, you know, a little bit of reinforcement. Yeah. At the time, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I view it differently now with the knowledge that I have of the Grammys and all like all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and what the Grammys actually are. Right. But at the time, at the time, that was probably one of the coolest things to ever happen to me. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't have been more excited. And it sort of solidified. I made the right choice. Yeah. And then I'll never forget getting the approval of my parents. Like I think it was the first time <laughs> for sure. My parents looked at my career and were like, "Oh wow." And then they couldn't stop telling everybody they knew about their son <laughs> got nominated for a Grammy. So it really was a moment in time of like, my life is fucking amazing right now. I can't even believe what's happening. And being able to go to the Grammys and party in LA and like people telling me like, you did good. It was like this weird validation that I didn't realize I maybe needed at the time. And it really gave me a nice boost. And as much as, you know, I've been to the Grammys twice now and I realized that it's, it's, you know, 
not really about your talent when it comes to that shit, unfortunately. I think there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes and the way that that stuff is handled. Of course. But, at the, but at the time, man, it was unreal. I mean, you could say that about the whole fucking music industry, if you want to be real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but absolutely. Uh, you know, you talk about getting back on the horse and, and singing 18 songs uh, with the band and, and that whole process. And, you know, I know you had vocal issues, you know, before uh, in the band yeah. back in 02 and you had vocal surgery a few years ago, I think, right? I read, I read somewhere. And, yeah, 2018. And that, that doesn't get talked about a lot on the show, you know, uh, surprisingly about singers having those issues and surgeries and all that. I mean, super scary stuff. And obviously a lot of doctors oh, yeah. don't understand the kind of singing we do, you know what I mean? Um, but, but talk to me about that and, and that whole process. And obviously that's fucking scary. Yeah. That was probably the scariest point of my whole career, honestly. Um, yeah, we were in the studio recording uh, Atonement, our most recent record. Um, and it was the song, I, I Can't Be the Only One, which is a fairly melodic, fairly easy song for me to sing. It's, there's nothing that's stretching my range too hard. And I was singing one of the verses, which is in a lower register. Like, it's not d a difficult vocal. And I couldn't do it. We were on this one line, and Adam's like, you are going sharp, you're going flat, you're going sharp. He's like... What's going on, dude? This isn't something's up. And I could kind of feel the fatigue. And rewind prior to this for years, on and off on tour, I'd get off stage and spit blood into a sink quietly. Oh, well, that's not good. And I would have issues singing. One night I'd sound great. The next night I'm like, I, I couldn't hit the note. Like I would be screaming, you know, you, you blend the scream into the, because you can't sing it. You're like having a rough night. That was happening way too often. And I remember seeing YouTube footage and being like, I sound like shit. What is wrong with me? And losing my fucking mind over this. Like I, I felt like the worst singer in the world and I couldn't figure it out. So after Adam was like, dude, you, you should probably go get checked out. Ironically, that was the day that I stopped singing in the studio is when Howard flew out and we did the signal fire together because I didn't have a voice. Oh, wow. So the duet happened right before I went home to the doctor to get checked out. So signal fire was written without me being able to like contribute at the time. And that was a real moment for me in the back of my mind and my darkest, deepest parts was like, at least they're on good terms with Howard. So if I'm done, maybe Howard could just jump back in this <laughs> band. I, I was that scared, oh, you know, because that's, that's where I was at. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? So I went to my usual doctor that I've been going to for many, many years um, since my first vocal issues happened. And he said, you know, put me on pregnazone, vocal rest for two weeks, you know, the usual thing that I do. I've done it so many times in my career where I stop talking for two weeks, I get on heavy medication, and then things are better. And this time I came back two weeks later after not speaking. And he's just got this look on his face. He goes, I need to refer you to a surgeon. This is out of my hands. Wow. I, I can't handle this. You have got a polyp that's not going away. It hasn't changed at all. It's it's as big as it was. And he's, I just, I, the way your voice looks right now, I've never seen it this bad. So he referred me to the surgeon, and the appointment wasn't for another two weeks. Um, we had a tour coming up, so I had to cancel that tour. And um, I finally got in to see this surgeon for a consultation. And he looked at me and says, I am telling you right now, if you were 
uh, an 80 year old man, I would say this is, this looks about right. Your voice looks like an 80 year old person. Like you've just been through hell and back. What are you doing to your voice? This is ridiculous. I can't even guarantee you that if we go ahead with this surgery, that you're going to be able to do what you do ever again. Like I can't guarantee Holy you that. Shit. Send me home another two weeks of vocal rest. So now we're at about six weeks in total of vocal rest. So I'm not even able to talk to anyone or communicate how I feel. So all the, the tools that I would normally use to cope with being depressed or being sad or having to deal, I can't even talk to oh anyone. And I can't write down on a fucking notepad fast enough to talk to anyone. So <laughs> yeah. I really went within. I became sort of monastic. I would just became very sort of still in myself and listened a lot and realized the power of the voice and how we really waste a lot of our voices on nonsense and gossip and hateful things. So it started to really impact me of like, I might be done. And if I'm done, so be it. I'm going to find a way to get through this and, and use my voice, not even necessarily my physical voice, but my, my whole embodiment in my life to like do something positive. So I was already on this path of like, this may never happen again. Wow. So I went into the surgery with that in mind, like, Whatever. I remember walking into that room. They didn't wheel me in. I walked in. I didn't want the wheelchair, none of that shit, the protocols. I walked into this huge operating room. There's six people in scrubs and masks, and I hear the machines beeping and all this shit, and it's, I'm fucking scared. I'm super scared. And um, they started to put me under, and apparently I started singing Whipping Post by the Almond Brothers <laughs> to much, much to the, you know, um, entertainment of the surgeon and everybody there. You know, when you get. You're going under, you do weird shit. <laughs> and I came out cracking jokes. I don't remember anything, but um, they told me not to speak. And I remember this weight, this this weird weight in my throat. And the doctor looked at me and he goes, this was a success. We removed not one, but two polyps. And the second one I didn't even see until we got in there. Oh my God. And it had so much scar tissue on it. He goes, that was probably your main problem for the past, I don't know, maybe since you've rejoined this band, you've had a broken instrument. And he goes, with what I did, it lo it's looking good. And you know, within a few weeks, we're going to know how, how well you are, how good you did. And so it was another month or so of quiet. So in total, I, I couldn't speak for a good two months, maybe, or so. And uh, yeah, I said my first words. And started speech therapy with uh, Melissa Cross, yeah. who's been the bane of my career and my savior and a dear friend and a mentor. And she was there every step of the way. I learned how to speak differently. Um, I have warm-ups that I do when I wake up in the morning just to speak. Um, and then uh, we started you know, scream and singing therapy, and it started to feel great. And then I realized, wow, I can do vibrato, like th things that I could never do with my voice. I started experimenting with the fry technique, which I'm still working on. I still do both both styles of screaming and singing. Right. And my first gig back was in Tallinn, Estonia, opening up for Iron Maiden. Hey, I'm Estonian. I'm half Estonian. Oh no, shit! That's yeah. awesome. And I've never, Beautiful country. And I've never been there. How how oh, we no. have an Estonian passport, and I've never been to the country. Uh, and I'm, I'm wow, you gotta I know, go, I'm dude. Dying to go. I heard it's amazing. Yeah, and Tallinn is a beautiful city, beautiful city. It's ancient. It's yeah. so awesome. So yeah, 11,000 people opening for Iron Maiden. And uh, yeah, there I am doing vibrato and like doing shit I've never done before. And at the end of that show, I remember getting backstage 
And you know how some of the dressing rooms have those communal showers where there's like six showers and no stalls. It's like prison style. Like, right, yeah. way, which is great for warming up, you know. But um, I remember getting on my knees and just crying and praying and just thanking God and just vowing that I'm not, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'll do everything I can. And it's been the hell of a journey since 2018 and just continuing to try to improve and, and not taking for granted this amazing gift that we all have to be able to com- communicate with our voice and make music. So it's been a hell of a journey. Wow. wow. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, so, I mean, obviously like the fear isn't just, you know, you can't sing anymore or like you'll have trouble, but like that you'll sound different. Do you, if you feel like you still sound the same um, or it, it, did it open up some other kind of voices for you? Yeah, my voice is more round now, and now that I've sort of, I feel like I've finally figured out what Melissa Cross has been talking about all these years, it clicked. And I think a part of that was getting rid of the polyps and being able to do it where you have that ringing sound in your skull when you're doing it properly that I've never had. Uh. So so realizing that how actually how to sing properly, um, I feel like I've only just started to figure that out in the past few years. So my whole career has been me just sort of just getting by with just enough and shrugging it off as like, oh, he's he's more of an emotional punk singer. He, he's a little rough around the edges when I realize now that I just had a broken instrument. So now I'm just, I'm trying my best to, to just continue to grow and and become a better singer. And it's it's been great. It's fun. It's it's a, a big relief to like be able to sing pretty decent. Well, whatever these days. you do, don't send a copy of the weapon stuff over to your uh, doctor or your surgeon. They'll uh, <laughs> they won't be happy with that band. No, I know, and that's why I love it though too. <laughs> but it's all about learning the technique where you can still do what you do, whether you know the techniques are false chord, which is predominantly what I've been right. doing for most of my life, and then the the fry. There is a way to do those techniques. I mean, especially the the faults with less pressure, with less push. And that was a huge eye-opener for me, too, is learning how to do it with less volume and still have it sound good and round. So it's been learning how to use your instrument is so fucking key. I love it. I love it. We, don't, we surprisingly don't talk about singing that much on this show. So uh, it's great when we get an opportunity to. So thanks, yeah, thanks for that. Anyone out there who's a singer, get lessons, rehearse. There are amazing people online, not just Melissa. There's a bunch of people now that can teach you techniques to how to scream properly, which I never had. None of us had back no. then. We didn't. I grew up in the in the '90s. We were just winging it, figuring it out. But you have that at your fingertips. Don't don't uh, pass that up. Get lessons. It's amazing what you can learn. There are kids like 12, 13 years old that can scream better than me because they're using this fry technique and they know how to do it right and they practice it. It's made me realize that anything's possible with a the voice. There's enough information out there. So singers. Do your homework, practice, get lessons. It's so worth it. The last thing in the world you want to do is get surgery. That shit sucks. <laughs> I love it, Jesse. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that. Uh, well, dude, thank you. I mean, for this incredible uh, conversation, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time and um, thank you for all the great music in the last couple of years uh, with Times of Grace and The Weapon. And when can we maybe get some new Kill Switch stuff? Is there talk? talk of anything happening um when that does happen it'll be next year sometime and the big plan is you know is is we're trying to do a little different this time around you know we want to go old school we want to like rent a house and live together for a couple months and and write a record together which we've never really done it's usually 
done via email and you know then i'll show up to the studio and nobody's there so we're actually thinking about doing it old school if that's still the plan i'm not sure but hey. we really want to do something different with this record this next record because it's just time to switch up the routine so i'd say next year maybe towards the end of the year we're looking to to start sort of start getting the wheels rolling for that but uh, I also wanted to thank you for what you do with your music and for what you do with this podcast. And it's an honor to uh, to be on this with the incredible amount of guests you've had and the hours of entertainment oh, you've given Jesse, me with this podcast. Thank you, man. Well, so thank That's you. That's really nice of you to say. You're making me blush. Uh, but 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 thank you, man. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank that you, was brother. That was really really great. It's kind of a pick me up. Yeah, well, thank. That means a lot. You say that, and uh, I feel the same way. And it's always weird, you know. Like I, I get, I do these interviews, and like I try to do my homework, and you know, um, but I, you know, I've I've never spoken to you before, and I'm a big fan, so I get a little nervous. And you know, it was just great that it went so well. And, uh, and thank you so much for. I couldn't sense you were nervous at all. <laughs> you sound like you. Used I've to done a man. lot. I've done a lot of these things, but it's it's funny, you know. Once in a while. I'll get like really fucking nervous, like where I'll be like shaking, running around the house before I do it. And then I just get on like, Hey man, what's up? Like just playing it super fucking cool. And it's funny. Yeah, Cause you're a pro. I'm a pro. <laughs> I'm a pro. Well, I'm going to play a track from the times of grace record. I would love people to hear that. Uh, do you got a favorite? That's a tough one. Um, I'd say the one that really hits me in the, in the duality of the vocals and the message is probably far from heaven. All right. Far from heavenless. Here it is on Lead Singer Syndrome.
flash of love and salvation This sensation of peace, judgment and hatred's part of your double speak This hypocrisy, telling me you can deliver me Most holy of sinners, from a puppet you preach Spreading segregation with little relation to mercy and peace If the greatest gift of these is love, still waters run deep A wolf in wolf's clothing, misleading the sheep Like an eye for an eye, becoming half Destruction left behind leaves us licking our wounds in this sermon of doom, in this sermon of doom. Will these arms damnation? Will these arms salvation? Will these arms damnation? Will these arms salvation? Will these So there is new music from Times of Grace and a great new record from them. You definitely need to check it out. I want to thank Jesse for taking time out of his day to speak with me and being so forthcoming. And man, that guy's awesome. That was just a great, great conversation. And yeah, it really lifted my spirits on whatever day that was. It was really, really a great one. If you want to help with the show, I will remind you, we've got the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club, bonus episodes, bonus content, a great community of other fans of the show, access to them, access to me. We get together when we're allowed in person for some great meetups, all that and more, and merchandise, of course, all for a very low price. So if you want to support the show and keep this thing coming at you week after week, it's a great way to do so. And shout out, of course, to all my sinners worldwide. Head over to leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. That's got all the info. All I ask is you check it out. If you can throw me a bone, I would really appreciate it. Before I go, I want to give a shout out to some awesome supporters of the podcast. You know who you are. I know who you are. But I want to give you guys an extra little special shout out after one of the best episodes of the podcast. I'm just going to put it right out there. A big shout out to Jenny Gulliver, Katya, Damon Allred, Marcus Reynolds, Snazo6, I know, Nikki, hi Nikki, Nick Terramina, Brandon Smith, Tanya, David Rivera, Tyler B. Hill Shaner, Amanda Lemoyne, Scott Levine, Donna Brown, Juanita Osorio, Shelby Roberts, Marie Helene Cousin, Jesper Franson, Justin Pickering, Matthew Lauterbach, Matt Miller, Vin Nguyen T. Fernando, is that you? Hi, Fernando. Ethan Thompson, Anthony Poplowski, George, just George, Francisco Perez, Martin Jacobson, Christina Bravo, Alyssa Lowe, Josh Lowe, no relation, Zach Weisenberger, Nicholas Loveland, Ford Wesson, Julie Popelka, Robert Scott Lewis, Melissa Gilroy, Tanya Kapshevsky, all the way from Germany, 
Rebecca Ferrero, all the way from Portland, Chelsea Rabino, Austin Amos, May I Helped You, <laughs> that's Michelle Ashley too, Connor Larson, Brandon Ray, Connor Lynch, Philip Fradkin, Calgary's Finest, Victoria Var from Sweden, Drew McDonald, Andre, Markham Ray King, Cole Fenn, Roy Stino, Rainer Ho, Nathan Riley, Gabby Marshall, Rigel St. Pierre, and of course, the King of the Sinners, Mr. Brandon Potter. Thank you all so much for your support, and I hope to see you guys in the flesh real soon. That's all. That's the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Peace and love. See you next time.